Welcome to Gateway's Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, if I've not had the opportunity to meet you yet, I'm the new guy on the team. I'm Joseph, and I get to serve here as administrative pastor, uh, which is just a really cool way of saying that I oversee the business functions of the church. Uh, we're not talking about giving this morning, so relax. Um, but first of all, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to you. Uh, we heard over and over again throughout our conversations with the team here that you were a friendly church. And I just want to let you know that I got to experience that over and over again uh, in our short time here. And I just want you to know that I'm thankful for you. In fact, when we came for our visit, we came to this service. We sat somewhere back over here. And there was someone who recognized that we were new, that we'd never been here before, went out of their way to make us feel welcome. We got in the car and we're like, wow, they really are a friendly church. So thank you guys uh, for making us feel uh, welcomed. Uh, we're excited to be here to link arms with you uh, and to see what God's going to do uh, at Gateway. So this morning, we're not talking about giving. We're going to talk about scars. Anybody, anybody have a scar in the room? Yeah. Yeah, we all, we all have some sort of a scar. Uh, I'm going to talk about those, but um, they come from different things, right? Sometimes they come from, from surgery or a procedure. Sometimes they come from an accident. Sometimes they come from things that we do in our less than smart moments. And I'm going to share one of those with you this morning. You see, on my left thumb here, I have a scar from, that I got on my 20th birthday. Uh, that morning, I got a bag of frozen biscuits out. Biscuits are my favorite breakfast food. And so I decided I was going to treat myself on my birthday and make myself biscuits. So when I opened the bag, they were all like frozen together in like a conglomeration. And I was like, well, I've got to, got to get these separated. Now, I need to preface this by confessing that I'm not a patient person. If you've ridden with me in the car, you probably have seen this. Uh, I have three kids because God has an incredible sense of humor and they are his personal instruments of my sanctification in this area. <laughs> so that morning, the, with those biscuits, I decided I need to separate them. Now, rather than running them under hot water and seeing if they would you know, separate, rather than just sticking them in the oven for a minute, I decided to get a knife. And I didn't get just any knife. I didn't go and get like a butter knife. I went and got like a really big like folding hunting knife that my dad had given me. And that morning, rather than separate the biscuits, I separated my skin. And so now two decades later, I have a really good reminder of a very poor decision that I made. See, there's a song from the early 2000s that has a line in it that says, our scars remind us that the past is real. And they do. Scars are storytellers. You see, if, if someone sees, maybe sees one of your scars, they, they might ask you, hey, how did that happen? And you will tell the story of how you acquired that scar. But this morning, we're not, we're not going to talk about the physical scars. We're going to talk about the scars that are on our hearts and our minds. It might be something that only you and the Lord know about. Maybe it's something that someone said to you or said about you. Maybe it's something that someone did to you. Maybe it's something that you have done or said. 
Whatever it is, that scar has a story. So we're going to be in the book of Genesis this morning. We're going to look at the story of Joseph. And this is my favorite story in scripture, and not just because I share a name with the main character, but God has used this story over and over again in my life to shape me, to teach me, to build my faith. And this morning, I'm confident that he's going to do the same for you. So we're going to look at, we're going to look at Joseph's scars. We're going to look at the scars of, of those around him, those in his household. And we're going to look at two choices when it comes to those kind of scars. See, here's the idea we're going after this morning. Scars are storytellers. You, you can either transfer your story or you can allow God to transform your story. So Genesis 45 is going to be where we start. And we're going to look at some other passages. We're going to go back for context. We're also going to look forward towards the end of this story. But as we read this passage this morning, I want you to pay attention to the words of Joseph. I want you to look at how he responds to his brothers. So let's look at, let's look at the word of God together. Genesis 45, starting in verse 1. And it says this, Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all of his attendants. So he called out, send everyone away from me. And no one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and also Pharaoh's household heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near. He said, I am Joseph, your brother, the one that you sold into Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there'll be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and to study your word. And God, as we, as we look at scripture, as we look at, at wounds and scars, God, I, just, I pray for, for people in the room, Lord, who need, um, they need the, a wound healed. Lord, I pray for comfort this morning. I pray that, God, as we look at how you have used hard things that happen to us for good. Lord, that you would do it again. Lord, thanks for this morning. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I told you, I love this story. This is like, a, this is like an epic in scripture. It, it spans from Genesis chapter 29 to, chap, to chapter 20, or sorry, chapter 50. And it's, and it's, a, it's a story of love and betrayal. It's a story of desperation and, and de- desperation and restoration. And I know that we're starting with one of the climactic parts, so let's kind of work back for context. So Joseph is the firstborn son of Jacob and Rachel. So hold that, Jacob and Rachel. He's not the firstborn son of Jacob, but the firstborn son of Jacob and Rachel. And he's his father's favorite. So much so that one day dad decides to give him a coat of many colors. Now, if you're a parent with multiple kids, you know that probably did not go over well. 
Now, one night, Joseph has a dream. And in this dream, he dreams that his, his older brothers are all going to bow down to him. And he tells them about it. Now, again, if you have multiple kids, you know that's not going to go well. If my four-year-old told his two older sisters that one day they were going to bow down to him, it's not going to be good for Judah. His next oldest sister, Aubrey, her name means fair ruler of the little people. She is destined to lead. She's, we're praying it's the youth group. I mean, we're praying that she does that instead of leading a game. But she's destined to lead something. And so if Judah were to say, I had a dream that you and Addie are going to bow down to me, it, it's not going to end well for him. It's just not. And so with Joseph, it doesn't either. You see, one day he goes out in the field to check on his brothers and they see him coming from a distance and, he, and his brothers say, hey, look, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. And then one of the brothers is like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him. Let's make some money out of this deal. And so they sell him off to some Ishmaelite traders that they see coming and he's off to Egypt. And then through some crazy circumstances, he ends up being elevated to the number two position in Egypt right when this famine is coming. And his brothers come looking for food. And it's been 22 years since they sold him. And they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. He recognizes that baby brother's not with them either. And so he tells them, I'm not selling you anything until you bring baby brother here. So they go back and they get hungry enough that they bring baby brother, Benjamin. And Joseph's harsh to him. He makes them look out to be thieves. He puts, he puts his cup in, in Benjamin's sack and sends him home. And he tells his guards, he goes, hey, they stole from me. Go find out who did it. And when, when you find the guy, tell him you're going to put him to death. And it's Benjamin. And one of his older brothers comes and says, hey, please don't do this. We promised his father we'd bring him back safely. Keep me instead. And then we get this really climactic part here where Joseph's like, I can't do this anymore. I'm your brother. You see, for you to understand how big this moment is, we, we had to go back. And you have to do that with your scar and your wound. You have to go back a little bit to process it. And so when you look at this moment, when you think about how big this moment is, when you look at all of the injustice, when you look at how Joseph is treated, and now he's the man in power, where he can right the wrongs, he, teach, he, he makes a choice. And it's the same choice that you and I have to make. Will I transfer this scar or will I transform this scar? So let's look at choice number one. What's it, what does it mean to transfer a scar? Well, when you transfer something, you assign ownership to somebody else. So two weeks ago, we closed on our home in Chapin. And so when we met with the closing attorney and signed like 500 sheets of paper, they transferred ownership of that home to Amy and I. We now own it. So when you transfer ownership of your scar onto someone else, what you do is you put your feelings and your experiences and those hurts onto other people. And you do this by how you treat them, how you interact with them, how you respond to them, and what you expect of them. 
And so while studying for this message, I, I believe the Lord showed me something. See, I had always thought growing up reading this story that all of this tension come from dad giving him a special coat and him telling him, hey, I had, I had a dream that you're all going to bow down. But what, I, what I've learned is that, that this started way earlier. This started before Joseph was even on the scene. You see, his scar starts with his dad, Jacob, with his mom, Rachel, with his aunt, Leah, and with his grandfather, Laban. So remember, Joseph is the firstborn son of Jacob and Rachel. Jacob works seven years for the opportunity to marry his uncle's daughter, Rachel. Now, we're not going to get into the daytime TV part of that, but it's, it's in the Bible. So we have to acknowledge it. So he works for the opportunity to marry his uncle's younger daughter. And he works seven years. And when the wedding day comes, comes around, he's deceived. And he ends up with the older sister, Leah, the one he didn't want. And he goes to his uncle and he says, hey, hey, no, 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 no. I didn't want her. I wanted her. And his uncle says, well, that's not our custom. If you want the younger daughter, you'll, you'll have to work seven more years. So let's set the scene. Jacob's deceived. He marries the woman that he didn't want to marry. The one that he really does want to marry, he's got to work seven more years for. So he's, he's married to the older sister while working seven years to marry the younger sister. This is a recipe for disaster, right? Like we kind of see this coming. And so to further complicate things, Jacob and Leah start having children. And we're going to look at what it looks like to transfer a scar. Let's look at... Let's look at Genesis 29. I want you to pay attention to what Leah says when each one of these children are born. Genesis 29, 31, they have Reuben, and she says, The Lord has seen my affliction. Surely now my husband will love me. Genesis 29, 33 with Simeon. She says, The Lord has heard that I'm neglected, and he's given me this son also. Genesis 29, 34 with Levi. She says, At last. My husband will become attached to me because I have borne three sons for him. And then finally she has Judah and she says, this time I will praise the Lord. So you can see each child is born with an unrealistic expectation. Maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one. Surely this is the one. And you can kind of sense that she just gives up with Judah. She's like, this time I'm just going to praise the Lord. But she's not the only one who does it. Rachel does it as well. See, Rachel, her scar was that she couldn't have children. So we fast forward to Genesis 30. And so we further complicate this story because she's like, well, if I can't have children for you, maybe my maid can. And so her maid starts having children with Jacob and we look at Genesis 30, verse 6. When Dan is born, she says, God has vindicated me, and he has heard me and given me a son. Genesis 30, verse 7. When Naphtali is born, she says, In my wrestlings with God, I have wrestled with my sister and won. Nothing like a little sibling rivalry, right? And so this story continues. Because Leah's like, well, great. Well, if your maid can have kids, then maybe mine can. And then Leah has more kids with Jacob until finally Rachel's able to have children and she bears him a son named Joseph. 
So can you kind of see how all of this tension has been building before he's even on the scene? How big brothers have watched as mom has been neglected. Mom wasn't the one he wanted. He actually wanted my aunt. And now, when the beloved wife is able to have children, the golden child comes. You see, where there's tension, there's reaction. I told you this is, this is my favorite story in all of scripture. I, I resonate a lot with Joseph. My childhood was um, pretty uh, interesting is the word that I've used to describe it. See, my parents were high schoolers when I was born. My mom was 16, my dad was 17. They got married after high school and they got divorced when I was five. I, I have no memories of mom and dad together. I have no memories of our family together. And coming from a broken home is tough. It's real tough when there's no peace between the families. And so I remember sitting on my bed as a teenager and I remember praying and telling God, hey, if you ever give me a family of my own one day, I'd, I'd like for it to be different. I'd like to do something different. And so, so fast forward to, to spring of, uh, of 2021 and I've got three kids and my anger was at an all-time high. I was just an angry person. Now, if I was interacting with you at church, if we were in small groups together, if I saw you in the grocery store, like you would never know it. But my, my family, my wife and kids got the brunt of it. And one day, um, my, my two daughters, Addie and Aubrey, did something that just set me off. I can't, I can't remember what it was, but I was just overly harsh. And both of them ran to their rooms crying and and my wife, Amy, heard this from the other room, and, and she came in and very calmly said, hey, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. And she said, if another man spoke to your daughters the way that you just did, what would you do? And I thought for a minute, and I said, well, I would make sure that he knew Jesus before I sent him to be with Jesus. <laughs> and she said, so if another man shouldn't do it, why should you? She then said this, she said, she said, you need to understand that how you speak to your daughters models to them how another man can speak to them. And I just crumbled. Because in that moment, I was putting my experiences and my hurts onto my kids. See, I went to see, uh, I went to see a Christian counselor after that, and I need to say right now that there's absolutely no shame in seeing a counselor. You need somebody sometimes who can come alongside you and talk with you and help you process. And so I went and I sat down, I sat down with a counselor and, and we worked through some stuff in my childhood and I, I learned some things. I learned that we don't have a word that's the opposite of trauma. And as we, as we processed, he helped me to see that when we go through traumatic things in our lives that we build coping mechanisms, we build a rule of life. We build something that helps us survive and avoid. And so for me, my rule of life was mistakes weren't allowed. I had to be perfect. And so what that counselor helped me to see was that my, my daughter is just by being normal kids who, you know, spill their orange juice or have accidents. They were violating my rule of life. And that's why I was being so harsh. 
I was putting my scars, I was transferring my scars to my kids. And that was something that I swore I wouldn't do. You see, the women in our story, Leah and Rachel, they're doing the same thing. When these kids are born, these kids are coming with an unrealistic expectation that they're the ones who are going to help them fulfill this need in their heart, this hole in their heart. But nothing good comes from transferring your scar. There's a better choice. So let's look, at, let's look back at our original passage. Look at Genesis 45. Verse five says, and now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. You see, Joseph is number two in all of Egypt, super powerful. His dream has come true. His brothers have ended up bowing down to him just like he dreamed that they would. And in this moment, he could have pinned everything that he'd been to, that he had been through on them, but he doesn't. See, Joseph teaches us something in this moment. He teaches us perspective. Because see, how you frame things and how you view things matters, especially when it comes to these hurts and these scars that you have. See, Joseph went from being a victim to a victor. He doesn't tell his brothers how he was falsely accused at Potiphar's house and unjustly thrown in jail and then left and forgotten. What he tells them in what he tells them is that God was ultimately working his purposes and his plan for Joseph even when they were seeking to harm him. You see, transforming your scar, transforming, transforming your story is a decision to acknowledge that something happened to you, but that it ends with you. Transforming your scar is recognizing that God was working on your behalf even when you couldn't see it or feel it. Because see, it's a matter of perspective and faith. So you can't, you can't transform on your own. You can transfer, you can hurt other people on your own, but to transform, you need the help of Holy God, you need the Holy Spirit, maybe you need a counselor, you need a community around you. Transformation doesn't happen in isolation. It happens in community. And you have to make that choice over and over again because you have an enemy that doesn't want you to be healed. He doesn't want you to be transformed. You see, a transformed scar is a dangerous weapon in the hands of a believer that you can use to harm him. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 1.4. He says that he, being God, comforts us in all of our affliction so that, we may be able, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. So how comforting is it when you're going through something and someone who has been through that comes alongside you. And they tell you, hey, I've been there. It happened to me. You're not gonna walk alone. See, transformation happens in community. The enemy wants you in isolation. He wants you to feel like you're alone, like nobody else would understand. Uh, Jesse Crookshank, 
in her book, Ordinary Discipleship, says this. She says, everything that has happened in your life, every aha moment, insight, or healed wound has equipped you for the task of making disciples. You don't need to have lived another life or to be a different person. You just need to look at life through, look at your life through God's eyes. He has equipped you. You are hardwired for transformation and you are created to be an agent of transformation. I love that line. You are created to be an agent of transformation. The best example I've ever seen of this is my mother-in-law, Donna. She and I have um, similar stories. In fact, that was one of the things that bonded us really early on. In the summer, my, my three kids got to go and, and spend a week just with Nana. And when they come home, uh, my oldest daughter, Addie, and I went for a drive, and, and we were unpacking their week. And I said, well, how was your week? And she said, it was really good, Daddy. Nana spoiled us. Now, if you're a grandparent in the room, like, you probably understand that sentiment, right? Like, that's your reward. You raise the parent, you spoil the grandchild. And she did her job. And I, and I told Addie, I was, I was trying to help her to focus. And I said, Addie, you have a really good Nana. And she said, I think I know why. She said, because people who go through hard childhoods want to make sure that other kids don't have to go through that. And she said, and that's why you do things different too, right, Daddy? See, I wasn't, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for that response. But in that moment, I, I got a gift. In that moment, I got to see how choices that my mother-in-law made over 40 years ago have had generational impact. And I got to see how God has transformed my scars. It's nothing I've done, I promise you. But how he has used those things that hurt me growing up to make things good for my kids. And here's the deal, your choice matters. What you, choose, what you choose to do with your scar matters because it has the same effect. If you transfer it or transform it, it's gonna have generational effects. So this morning, will you choose to stop transferring your scar and allow God to transform it? Will you look for ways to use your experiences and those things that you've gone through to look for others who are maybe experiencing something similar, to come alongside of them and to encourage them, to let them know that they're not alone? See, in Genesis 50, 20, we get the ultimate transformation moment with Joseph. See, to set the scene, his dad, Jacob, has died. And his brothers are terrified because they're like, hey, he said he was going to take care of us. And now dad is dead. So I guess he's now he's really going to take care of us. Now we're really going to get it. Joseph says this to his brothers in Genesis 50, 20. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to keep many people alive. So therefore, do not be angry. I'll provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. 
So this morning, I don't, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what scars you carry. But what I know is this, the same God who was with Joseph in prison, the same God who was with him when he went through all of these things is with you. And he can use those scars for your good and his purposes, just like he did for Joseph. Paul says it like this in Romans eight twenty eight. He says that we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Scars are storytellers, but you get to decide the story that they're going to tell. And my prayer is, is that you'll leave here today with a decision to tell a transformed story. So our band, our band's coming up now, and we're going to do a song called Canvas and Clay. And I love this song. And it has a line in it that says, I know nothing has been wasted, no failure or mistake. You're an artist and a potter. I'm the canvas and the clay. So whatever you've been through, God can use it. So this morning, as we, as we respond, I don't, I don't know what the Holy Spirit's done in this moment, but maybe this morning you, you realize, man, I've been, I've been transferring my scar. I've been, I've been hurting people. Maybe today is the, is the day you'll say, I'm, I'm done with that. God needs to heal this. Maybe this morning, as we've been talking about this, something has, some hurt from the past has been triggered and, and man, you realize that God hasn't healed that yet. This morning, would you just, just pray and ask him for healing and comfort? Maybe for you this morning, the decision isn't necessarily whether to transfer your scar or transform, but maybe you need to make a decision for Jesus. Maybe for you, it's to be transformed by making Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe that's your decision today. Whatever it is, whatever the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do, as they play and as we sing, do that.